to the Skeptic Wire. Episode 134 of The Skeptic Wire, born the 30th of October, 2013. I am your host, Gary Long, and with me this week are Donna Swafford. I think I'm here, although you're way too happy to be here right now. (laughs) And Greg Perrine. Suddenly I'm (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I I just have to chuckle because you, like, coughed in the middle of your intro. (laughs) And now because you're laughing through it, I have to leave in the cough to explain why the hell you're laughing through it. (laughs) Would you like me to do it again? It doesn't matter. Okay, we won't then. So, how has everybody's week been? Uneventful. That's good. Right? Sure. (laughs) I'm still getting used to wearing bifocals. That's been a really interesting experience. Yeah, wait till you get to the orgy focals. Really? You had to go there again? (laughs) That's okay. I was going to make an old joke, so it's better that he make his joke. (laughs) I thought we were sex positive. Chris, the, the problem is, like, when you're... Glasses do go to an orgy, they come back all scratched up, so I hope you got the scratch protection on that. I did. I don't know this from experience, because I don't have bifocals. Neither do I, but I've gotten to that point where I'm going to have... I keep having to start doing the so um, avuncular thing with my glasses and put it down on the bottom of my nose. Yeah. So what you're saying is is that you have... I have multiple sets of glasses. You have homofocal. Exactly. Some of them are seeing close, and some of them are seeing far away. So what you're saying is that you really do need bifocals. Shut up. You've just <laughs> managed to skirt the system. And he's cheating yeah. on the other glasses. That's yeah. right. The regular glasses get used more, and then when I have to read or something, I put on the cool, everything's clear, close-up glasses. I actually, they did give me a pair of those for all of my computer work and everything yeah. else. So. I don't think they gave you a pair of them. They probably offered to let you they, buy them. But. Yes. Well, they gave her for a Small large uh, expected donation of, you know, two to $400. <laughs> donation, sure. A, a tithe? <laughs> Speaking of donation, I heard you tried to donate your time to the press this week. I did, Scary Lee. Well, it is the Halloween season. Yes. I got called by the local religious page writer for the Express News, and he was asking about UTSA's Secular Student Association. That's brand new, I I believe, this year. It may be a little bit older than that, but there used to be a thing on campus called the Atheist Agenda, and they were kind of a firebrand organization, and they, they would do fun stuff like Smut for Smut, where you could come and turn in the Bible and get porn. And then they also did the, uh, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And so you could sign away your soul. 
<laughs> I think it's hilarious. Well, there I are plenty that. of college organizations that do similar things. Like, there's plenty that are doing the stone an atheist for charity kind of thing sure. where you throw a water balloon at them. Or... Sure, but that's almost uh, poking fun at themselves yeah. a little bit because they're taking the pain, I guess, yeah. on themselves. So it's a little bit different than the... Or a thousand know, calling years ago, they probably would have been stoned, literally. Yeah, exactly. What's happened is the, the SSA is a little bit more um, friendly, more... Uh, let's have a dialogue kind of thing. And so that's what I was talking with Mr. Levy. The, I assume the that they're associated with the National yes. Secular Student Alliance group. Yes, they are. So that also probably leads to more kindler and gentler kind of interactions. Sure. And what's what's cool is they're, they're quite active. They're in the uh, free speech area. It seems like they're out there about once a week, if not for the last couple of weeks, they've been out there when, I, when I've gone by during lunch hours and stuff. And so they're really making an effort to, to be seen, and that's really cool. And so that's that's what we talk about. So when is this article going to be out? Well, it's supposed to come out this weekend, but uh, it appears that I got cut. Oh. Yeah, the sugar-tongued, sugar-toothed writer Greg Epstein, who wrote Good Without God, apparently a quote from his book beat out my uh, diatribe. So you got one hand a nationally known author, and on the other hand, the just local scary. coordinator for the San Antonio Coalition for Reason. <laughs> he was quite glib on the phone, but really not that interesting to quote. So you know, was it just a quick conversation? You know, hey, what do you think of this organization? And then kind of to get a, a quote to put in the article. Yeah, and that's the, it? the question was: Is this? A change in the tactics of atheists being less firebrandy and being more dialoguing, and I, and my answer was sort of yes. For the last ten to fifteen years, we've had the Dawkins and the Dennett and the de- big debates. You know, you can call them in-your-face atheists or firebrands. Again, I'm going to keep on using that because that's the only one I can think of right it's now. It's better than using the word militant atheist. Yes, exactly. And so they've raised the consciousness to the point where. Atheists aren't the baby eaters <laughs> right. to most people. Because of that, we can have, say, Hamant Meta come to San Antonio and talk at the big megachurch, Oak Hills Baptist Church, and actually have a dialogue and questions and answers, where, as before, you know, probably he would be glad He, he wouldn't whatever. be invited. He wouldn't be invited, yeah. The metaphor I was thinking is if you've got, like, a barbershop quartet, you've got four people, each person has to sing really loud to be heard. But if you have a big old choir of people, not everybody has to sing as loud or be as forceful. So the movement of atheists has grown bigger. There's more people. It can be more diverse. Not everybody has to be a P.Z. Myers. You could be a uh, Hemet Meta or a Manic Neef or something like that. Yeah. It, from there, we actually had a pretty good discussion for about 15 minutes just talking about the role of atheism and, and what's happened in society. I basically thought, I, mean, I, I, you know, I came out to my brothers because I had the resources. You know, I, I have a group of people I can go to and hang out with. And so I'm not ostracized from a society or from society for my views. And granted, I'm not going out there and preaching, oh, I'm an atheist, you know. But if someone asks, I don't have a problem saying, yeah, I'm a, you know, a secular humanist is actually what I say. Because I think it's a wider umbrella on who I am. Because as I've said before, atheist is a one-trick pony. That's true. Unless you get into the atheist plus, and really we have secular humanism that kind of takes care of that. But I think, 
Some people may disagree. Please feel free to disagree. <laughs> anyway, so that's what happened. And so fortunately, I don't have to call up my brother and say, uh, be prepared to answer questions about this person who has the same last, last name as you. He's <laughs> 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 talking about atheism and the coalition of reason. <laughs> Although I may, because, you know, articles change between now and then, so I may give him a, a heads up just to let him know. Or you might be included in a future article. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, we, you know, we had a good discussion. He said, well, great, this is good. So I, I have someone I can call who knows a bit about of all the organizations. Granted, everybody in town is pretty much part of all the organizations. <laughs> it's a little inc- incestuous here in uh, San Antonio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, my big debut has been undebuted. Oh, well, maybe next yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. Regardless, so do we have a birthday? Yes, yes, we have a birthday. And um, I believe last week I did this as well. One birthday is going to be really quick. I think there's another birthday in there that's a little bit more involved, but probably you'll get it. So we're going to do two this week. Okay. The first was born October 30th, 1970, and is... Re- not me. No. Okay. Yes, you mean. No, <laughs> it is not you. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep lately, so don't ask any difficult questions right now, Gary, like, not me. <laughs> this person is related job-wise to someone from last week's birthdays. Would it be a female... No, okay, it is hold a on, male. Hold on. Be for, those male of, for those of us who are not playing with the home game and haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode. Who's the non-engineer person on Mythbusters? Carrie. No, non-female. <laughs> the other well, you guy. Said, the because other guy. Um, I'm going to say kid compared to uh, Jamie and... Uh, there's Grant. Grant. Grant Imahar. Okay. Hey, Grant Imahar was last week. Grant oh, Imahar's birthday last... was last Wednesday. So it's got to be Tori Belici. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know the people. On that was Busters. more difficult than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, it was It was kind of playing the $20,000 pyramid or whatever. Because <laughs> I don't know the names. And <laughs> Wait, is it, it's Million Dollar Pyramid now, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but we're ch- children of the 70s, so we're yeah, stuck in like, the $100,000. Oh, $25,000. started out as $25,000. Yeah. Sad. Okay, moving on. So, yeah, moving on. <laughs> I think you can pretty much know why I mentioned Tori Balici as one of the skeptical thing Because of his skeptical oh. content of being all testing of myths and stuff. The next person is dead. Okay. And died at age 46. Wow. Was born in 1857, so died in 1904. Okay. This person was a physician who essentially is one of the early on people who you could classify as a neurologist. He looked into a lot of things like hysteria, which wasn't like women going crazy. It was just anything that they couldn't categorize was called hysteria. And he looked into mesmerism and hypnosis and stuff like that. Yeah. But the yeah. biggest clue of who he is is I'm going to give the the clue in the matter of acting out something. Fuck. Fuck. Shit, shit, shit. Uh, Fuck. Uh, oh, Fuck. Um, shit, Tourette's. <clears throat> Tourette's, yeah. Yes, thank you. George Giles de la Tourette. You should have said fuck instead of sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Your homage. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, he's he's the one who studied some people who there aren't that many people who have Tourette's syndrome. Mm-hmm. So there were like five or six people who he's able to look at and classify all as this new thing. And originally he was calling it um, malady de tics. So basically mm-hmm. the not always the swearing tick, but there's also the kind of the repetitive behavior kind of tick, which is yeah. borderline OCD. The the yep. lines blur there. Yeah, but if if you have Tourette's, I mean, it, there are ticks. I mean, that's yes. one of the primary things. It's yeah. not necessarily the cussing, right? Because not Be- a cussing is a kind of tick. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. My understanding is is that there are lots of different types of ticks. The swearing is just a, 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 a small piece of that pie. Exactly. And the most famous piece of that pie, hence why I used it. And also, this is a auditory medium, so just kind of ticking my hand would have not have clued in the listener to oh, what was going point. on. Oh, that's a good point. Plus, it would have looked like me doing this. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what he was doing. I think the listener can figure that out. The interesting thing now. is in 1893... There was a former female patient who came to his house and basically tried to extort money from him. She claimed that he had hypnotized her against her will and basically ruined her life. And she shot him. Ow. Now, she shot him. Yes. (laughs) Son (laughs) of a bitch. (laughs) He survived the attack, but basically was bothered with, like, depression and hypomania uh, kind of. Where did he get shot? Um, in the neck, apparently. Oh, so it was it was very dangerous. So it was almost like a shot in the head kind of thing. But it basically really affected him mentally, and obviously he died in 1904. So he didn't live that much longer. Yeah. But yeah, so he was the scientist who discovered Tourette's. But the uh, or I first first uh, not, first not discovered, yeah, it, yeah, diagnosed and and what's it ca- uh, characterize it? Char- yeah, but also mentioned the whole thing with the woman trying to kill him and that he was interested in looking into mesmerism and hypnosis in that he basically people who know more about hypnosis and mesmerism and all that nowadays definitely know for sure you can't hypnotize somebody into doing something they wouldn't do anyway right or or really don't want to do exactly and he was convinced of that as well back at that time even though it was the early days of studying that sort of thing he was scientific enough to say, you know what, this is. there's only so much this can really do. Sometimes it can be used. They used it a lot with his mentor to figure out what hysteria was, all these kind of things. But this woman who shot him in the, in the neck apparently was like paranoid schizophrenic or whatever they called that in that, in that day. So uh, Possessed. Yeah, a thousand years <laughs> before that she would have been called possessed. But, uh, yeah. So uh, Tourette's birthday and... Um, Tori Belici's birthday. Yay. All right. Yay. Well, a giant fuck you to Tourette's then. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. In the nicest way possible, go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. Do we have a meme this week? To be whacked. Yes. Actually, we do. There is a thing going around on Facebook called the giraffe riddle. Where the, basically there's a, a question that is going around saying, spoiler alert, it's 3 a.m. and the doorbell rings, you wake up, unexpected visitors, it's your parents, and they're here for breakfast. You have strawberry jam, honey, wine, bread, and cheese. What's the first thing you open? Now, you are supposed to private message the person who's put this up, and they tell you if you're right or wrong, and if you're wrong, 
you have to change your profile picture to that of a giraffe. There's nothing really stopping you from not doing that. Right. But, or forcing you to do that. Right. If my brain was working this week. Now, most people will answer, what's the first thing you open? My eyes. My eyes. And I know. I would say, I, I guess door. Because it says 3 a.m. the doorbell rings and you wake up. That doesn't mean you open your eyes. You if you, when it I did, w- it doesn't say you get up. It just says you wake up. It doesn't uh-huh. mean you open your eyes. You could be awake just lying in bed. I do it a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's three a.m. The doorbell rings and you wake up. You have woken up. Unexpected visitors. It's your parents. You know it's your parents by that point. Probably you have opened your eyes already. They are here for breakfast, which means you went to the door and say, hello. Hi, it's your parents. We're here for breakfast. Your eyes are already open by that point because you've come to the door close enough that you can actually mm. hear them say, we're here for breakfast. That is why I reasoned door. Now, obviously, it's not supposed to be strawberry jam, honey, wine, or bread, or cheese, or all those kind of food products. That's the real distraction. But apparently, the big argument is door versus eyes. Right. Yes. And I am right, and you all are wrong. Disagree. No. Because the first thing I opened was my eyes, in spite of the fact that it's unexpected visitors. It does, it's not clear on what's the thing you open. What's the first thing you open? Well, the first thing I opened were my eyes waking up. Right. The door, if I hear my doorbell ringing <laughs> yeah. or my or somebody knocking on my door, especially at 3 in the morning, the first thing I'm opening up is my eyes. Right, but at this point of the story, we are past that point, is what I am saying. But it's not, that's not quite clear. Have you, have you? And why not? I thought I just made it clear that you already have woken up. You know it's your parents. But and then you realize, at how, that point, after you know that it's your parents and you have woken up, what is the first thing you do next? Uh, but that's Knowing still, all that, that's what's still not the first clear. thing you do? Okay. Then my other one is my bladder. <laughs> <laughs> he what has a point. You, what you do all over your parents is no business of no. mine. Before I you open get the up, door. You go to the bathroom and then go downstairs. To, or, or it might whatever. be the dog door. Yeah, sure. Open. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things you can do. Or you can open up before. I open up the, actually, <laughs> I open up the gate that goes from our upstairs to our downstairs. Right. So and I do argument, that before I open the door. And the argument could be made that if you're following my line of arguments... If you know it's your parents, you may have already opened the door. You might not have a peephole. You might have a really good, good soundproofed house, and you have to open the door to find out who it is. But if that's the truth, then that's a big problem security-wise, and you probably shouldn't be <laughs> opening the door All I anyway. have to say is that if it's my parents and it's 3 a.m., I'm getting the vacuum cleaner because somebody has spread their ashes all over my front door, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. And who the hell has breakfast at 3 a.m.? In wine with the breakfast at 3 a.m. Yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> Don't it, get me wrong. I'm all for getting drunk at 3 a.m., but. <laughs> and apparently the, this guy's a vegetarian. The person in this scenario. We yeah, because there's out, no there's no bacon. There's no, there's no sausage. <laughs> there's no egg. Yeah, there's no eggs. There's cheese. So it's not vegan. We yeah. can assume a lot about this story already. Yeah, we're assuming that he's to, gay. Because it's strawberry jam, not whatever's in the refrigerator. <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> I have apricot jam in my friggin' 
refrigerator, and as far as I know, I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Okay. Oh, hold on. Dear listener, that was a spider web or something that got in his face. It was not me getting into his face right after I said I wasn't gay. I, I was attacked by, like, a, a little flying thing. Anyway. No, just because someone has strawberry jam and wine, and bread, wine, bread and, and cheese, this this is a, this is a bachelor. <laughs> I, I, I like wine. I would agree because the, fir- the you know there's no discussion of what the wife or the girlfriend or boyfriend yeah. is is saying in this situation of just ignore it, tell them to go away. None of that <laughs> discussion. It's it's just what he opened first, and having made all those assumptions is why I can say. That you can make the assumption you have already woken up, you have already opened your eyes. Right. So right. You, you, but you make that assumption, but it is not necessarily. And I want to add back to the every bachelor that I know of, their refrigerator is frozen pizza, beer. No, that's not. All right, hold on. Go okay, look in my on. refrigerator. <laughs> I don't have frozen pizza this week, <laughs> and I don't no, have beer. beer. Right. You said every. You made a broad generalization. And I'm not talking about broad as in female. I am talking about broad as in general. Yes. You mean like in a broad generalization? Yes. So I made a general generalization. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't ever have. I'd rather have a major generalization because they're not as quick. You know, they're not really looking for that promotion. Rear Admiral. (laughs) Or is that something dirty? Well, it's not in the riddle. And we've we've so it's not much of a riddle is the problem, right? It's a really crappy riddle. Yeah, and there's no reason you should have to actually change your Facebook profile. And I know several people who have done it and you know not changed their Facebook profile. On hell, I'm looking at you because we had a whole big argument, me and a really good friend of mine, about I versus door. As we just did. Well, that was a waste of time. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty much. That the important was the thing way. is to craft your riddles correctly, and especially if you have the high stakes world of Facebook involved. Right. That if you have to change your Facebook profile, make sure that it's a very clear riddle. Right. Even though riddles can be misleading sometimes, when is a door not a door? When it's a jar, you could say other answers, but at least a jar should make sense. Well, that's a pun, which is why it's not really. And that's less a riddle than it is a joke. Because a riddle yeah. uh, re- requires some critical thinking and some out-of-the-norm thinking, looking at things from a different perspective and, and using different different terminology or using the extended use of metaphor to answer. Right. It's mostly pun. It's a little yeah. bit of riddle. It so is it's a little a puddle. bit of <laughs> And the Battle Beatles what? will be here any minute. I'm completely lost. The Battle Beatles from, from Fox and Socks. They battle in the, the, the no. It's the paddle paddle beetles. I have no idea what the fuck you're the talking about. The paddle beetles battle in a in a in the puddle in the bottle in the poodle on the poodle eating noodles. I think he is quoting Seuss to us. Seuss, fox and socks. <laughs> I only know one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Yeah, that was too easy. Okay, obviously your brain is a little fried right now. <laughs> Maybe we should do the graduate school discussion earlier in the show because obviously. <laughs> You're gonna all over the place. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. But but then we don't get the lovely segue of of the animal segue. <laughs> I don't know what the animal segue is going to be from giraffe. Giraffes have a snake-like neck. Speaking of snakes, 
Oh, I, see, I thought you were actually going to go into the graduate school Barbie. So giraffes have a snake-like neck. So does Barbie. That's where I thought you actually were going. she does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, certainly in real life, if she were the same size, it'd be giraffe-like. You'd have to you have to put the the rings on. Yeah. No. Although it turns out that uh, when you put the rings, uh, the the woman with the rings, it doesn't actually stretch the neck. It just pushes the shoulders down, which is a little bit different. That's like, in, you know, you're too, too cheap to get a facelift, so you have your body lowered. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why my hairline receipts. Okay, we're doing bits now, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just had that joke for years and never been able to really use it in the conversation. Yay! <laughs> and the podcast is over. 134 episodes just to get Donna to that one joke. We're done. We're good. Hey, it's we're, a good joke. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I think no, we said that 133 I, episodes ago. Yeah, I think so. We just said, welcome listeners, come along for the ride. Uh, so we're going to talk about snakes or we're yes. going to talk about Barbie? <laughs> we not. don't need no motherfucking snakes on some motherfucking podcast. There we go. <laughs> yes, so snakes. There were a couple of interesting snaky type articles that were mentioned in the news this weekend. I thought I'd talk about a couple of them. Because snakes are spooky. Yes, it is. I mean, by the time the listeners get this, it'll be after Halloween. So that's why we did the big Halloween extravaganza last week. But snakes right. are ooh spooky and <laughs> slithery and scary. But we'll get into that later. Right, right now, well, we're getting into other slithery and scary people in the form of Pentecostal snake handling preachers. Our favorite. Yes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an article. Well, I mean, as, as monks... As, Snake handling preachers, Pentecostals are right there up at the top. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because you never hear about Presbyterian snake handlers, right? Exactly. Exactly. It, it is mostly a Pentecostal thing. Yes. Yeah. It also apparently is mostly in the Appalachia area, Kentucky, and all that. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of Pentecostal preachers were interviewed by NPR, talking about essentially the fact that they've allowed a um, what is it called movie. That's about real stuff. Documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's not just me. (laughs) We've all lost our minds. I don't think we had much to lose. We knew that 133 episodes ago. Yeah. These preachers from the Kentucky area let a documentary crew in to create the movie Snake Salvation where it kind of gets kind of into the lives of these preachers who have actually quite small little churches. It's maybe a couple dozen people, and mostly it's like three families. And, you know, they go into... because all the rest of them have died off from snake bites. No, it's just not oh. a very popular thing. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you know... And the population thing. It, yeah, it's a, it's a small insular group, and a lot of other people think it's just too crazy, so they go to the local Baptist church or something. Sure. Not that the Baptists aren't crazy, but that's another podcast. <laughs> so another one discussion. of the people they interviewed was, uh, oh, I love his name, Jamie Coots. Yeah. <laughs> of the Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name in Middleborough, Kentucky. Wait, what was the entire name of the church? Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name. Or Jesus' name, I guess. In wow. Jesus' name, yeah. It's one of those things where I guess it's like drug medications that 
the more you have, the more you run out of names. So I guess they have to be more and more specific about their church names. It's kind of like when uh, Muslims say uh, Allah, they usually say may may his name be praised or may he right. be praised or whatever. So it's, it's like... I was thinking there probably already was a full gospel tabernacle in Kentucky. So they had to call themselves the full gospel tabernacle in Jesus' name. I'm sure. <laughs> We were called the Originals, and then we found out that the other group was called the Originals, so we called ourselves the New Originals. People's Front of Judea, the whole thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, this documentary about snake handling and Pentecostalism and all that stuff, was it's, it's coming out relatively soon, and they wanted to let people know, hey, we're just like everybody else, and come to our services. And they showed kind of how they really have this whole big performance where they take the snakes out and they kind of wave them around. And at one point, one of the preachers uses the snake to wipe the sweat off his brow. Does that or work? Like I mean, that. They're, they're, snakes oh. are non-absorbent. <laughs> and all I'm thinking is salmonella. Really? Salmonella? Yeah, because they're on their skin. Salmonella can live on oh, on snake and reptile skin. That makes this even worse. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like it's voodoo where they're sacrificing a chicken next to the snake. Right. No. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, you all these health problems from these religious. Anyway, continue. Well, speaking of health problems, after it, the interview was done, the interviewer said, you know what? I'm curious why not that many people get bitten. Now, we have had stories on the show where we've mentioned like a father and his son both died of snake bites right. or something like that. You mean they both died of stupidity. From the snake spikes, yes. Uh, exactly. So stupidity I, think, I, think, actually... I think they were stupid before they were bitten by the snake. Exactly. Because <laughs> they're... Oh, I, no, I was yeah, going to yeah, get yeah. really mean there with because they're Christian. They're well, the first thing I did was open their eyes. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Oh, that was a good one. That was fighting words, bucko. <laughs> or the door. <laughs> <laughs> the door to stupidity. Hold on, let me grab my barrel of pens so I have stuff to throw at you. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. First pen this loaded is, and ready. This is kind of like religion now. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's handling the pens. Let's put, I'll get a pen with a cap on so I don't poke your eye out at the first time. So there was this interview on NPR about how these Pentecostals do this kind of thing. And it's it's all a big show. And it's like any religious service. It's try to get people riled up and excited. And so in the, the money of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Right, so that the money falls out of their their uh, pockets. Yep, I would assume so, but such a small group, it can't be all about the money. It's not like one of the big mega churches where they got the big screens and no, that, donate, yeah, donate, yeah. donate. It's more about the small insular group of true believers. Yeah, right, right. Following this article, the people at NPR said, well, I'm just curious why more people don't die. Mm -hmm. Why more people don't get bit. So they talked to people like... Kristen Wiley at the Kentucky Reptile Zoo to find out, well, what's kind of going on? What her point of view was from what she's seen of either being able to get into these places or just seeing footage is that a lot of these places, they just don't care for their snakes very well. Mm -hmm. They're not watered very well, so they, they're dehydrated, so maybe their venom is just damn weak. And they're not fed fed well they're and not they're fed. overcrowded. They're not fed well so they don't have a lot of strength to try to bite everybody. They're overcrowded in boxes so they're just kind of stressed out already. I know they interviewed 
uh, a pastor named Whitfield Gibbons. Yeah. That was the other guy in that documentary. His snakes only last a couple of months at right. the most, and he doesn't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. According to the heptologists, they were saying that sn- well-cared-for snakes usually live 10 to 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you don't get – you, get, you yeah. can see large snakes around. They're not mayflies. Yes. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're vertebrates. Right? Yes. Maybe they're vertebrates. <laughs> yes. Maybe they're vertebrates. Snakes are vertebrates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking something there. Okay. They're just not, you know, bipedal. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. And preachers like this, the, the guy Coots and Gibbons apparently are very open about the fact that, oh, we get new snakes all the time. And that shows that they're running through snakes really quickly okay. in that they're not treated healthily and they're passing away. And right. in the original NPR article, they were saying that the preacher warned the interviewer before they went into the snake room. Now, just so you know, it's going to be really smelly in there. You'd think a pet room that is really, really smelly is sign mm-hmm. of not well cared for animals, either mm-hmm. dying or sick or dead or something like that. Or... or- Lack of lack of cleaning. Well, one of the other things they, they mentioned about these snake boxes or whatever, because they're overcrowded or whatever, is apparently they didn't notice a lot of feces in these boxes or in the area, yeah. which means they're not feeding them to produce feces. A lack of feces, that's one interpretation. And certainly considering the conditions they were kept in, that's probably a good interpretation. But of course, the, the, one of the things I thought was, or they're actually cleaning out the cages. <laughs> But it, in everything else, it doesn't seem entirely like Yeah, it doesn't. Right. right. That, and that's, that's the thing. Or what feces are there? The snakes are so hungry that they're eating each other's feces. That's, yeah. I mean, none of us are, are snake experts here. So, I mean, Certainly we can not. only yeah. kind of hypothesize about what's going on. But at the very least, these are snakes that are not being cared for. They're not being fed well. They're not being hydrated well. They're being kept in cramped almost hoarder-like conditions. Yeah. It does seem at least that the snakes haven't been defanged, which is one usual hypothesis. Did they glue their mouth shut? Did they defang them or something like that? No one suggested that in this specific case. I don't think that they would anyway, because the entire point of snake handling is you're not going to get bitten. Right. But they're being a little disingenuous in that they have weak snakes that aren't likely to strike most of the time. And the question is, do they do they really know that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you kind of want to take them out into the wild and say, "There's a rattler." Well, it just so happens that one of the last things mentioned in the article about the health care of these snakes, and if that could be the reason why people aren't being bit, is one of the preachers said, "Hey, come on down, bring your own snakes. We'll handle those too." And that probably is the reason <laughs> why you have some people like the news coverage that we've covered on pe- preachers who do die. It's a new snake just come in mm. that isn't quite as broken, <laughs> yeah. demoralized, yeah. and they don't realize it. And snake handlers who do things like on movies or magicians or something like that, I'm sure they spend a lot of time with a the snake. They gain the trust so that there is no biting. They don't make a lot of sudden movements. Yeah. And that, that, was and that can the, be a good yeah. technique, but right. with these preachers waving them around and provoking them to try to test the Holy Spirit, to test that, yes, they will be impervious and all that kind of stuff. Which is hilarious, because that's kind of against the entire point of 
the Holy Spirit. Because yeah. I believe there is a line. I wish I could remember which one it is, but you're not supposed to test the Holy Spirit. Right. That's well, <laughs> the whole reasoning for this Pentecostal stuff comes from essentially one little, one line yeah. in gar in garp in garp. It all comes from one line in the Gospel of Mark. It says 16th chapter. And it says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Let's try some hemlock for them. Yeah. Let's see how, okay. they, see, how yeah, they like drinking that. <laughs> well, they, 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 There's a couple of things there. Apparently snake handling isn't the only thing they do. They'll sip like strychnine or lye or something okay, like that. Okay, now see, sipping is different. I want to see him take a double shot of it. Just yeah. well, knock it back. We don't want to see them do that because that would be evil. Yeah, But actually, I would like to see it. I mean, because there's also in the Bible, the faith of a mu mustard seed can move mountains. Okay. <laughs> Let's see that mountain move. It's something other than with like earth moving equipment. What you were mentioning <laughs> earlier about, well, do they really know that they're basically demoralizing these snakes? So it's not really true, full, honest test of their huh. faith. I I do think there's a little bit of they they test in ways that they know that they'll probably be okay with. Oh, yeah, but yeah. not it's not as conscious because I think when you're gotten to the point where you've got this tiny little church of a couple dozen people. You probably really are a true believer, and you are so stuck in that insular world where if anybody left, it'd be a complete scandal. That it's probably true believers who are just subconsciously deluding themselves. So what you're saying is is that it's not the Church of Herpetology, it's the Church of Scientology. That works, just without the cash flow. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, like church. speaking of... Science. We go from crazy snake handling to actual full-on science. Really? Yes. Full-on science on this show? Full frontal science. <gasps> <laughs> We're not going to get shut down for that, are we? I mean... Do, do, we have the explicit tag. We'll be fine. Oh, good, good, yeah. good, 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 good. We've kind of had that since uh, day one. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what kind of science are we talking here? We are talking about evolutionary science evolutionary science. So kind of the full opposite end of the Pentecostals that we were just discussing. Pretty much. Because quite possibly they will deny evolution. It's uh, possible. It's possible. Probably, we're, not gonna, yeah. we're not saying for sure. They are Pentecostal. Back in 2006, a anthropologist by the name of Lynn Isbell put out an article in the Journal of Human Evolution talking about her idea of the essentially snake detection theory of human evolution. Hmm. And she followed up with a book in 2009 called The Fruit, the Tree, and the Serpent, which is essentially that kind of phrase alluding to the Garden of Eden and Genesis and all that is actually a neat metaphor for the three ideas of how human evolution and specifically human sight, how it evolved to be the way it is today. So you've hmm. got the fruit, which is aligned with the visual predation hypothesis, which is the idea of small mammals and early primates when they were evolving after the dinosaurs needed to be able to see insects and detect fruit easily to be able to get it and grab it. There's the, the tree hypothesis, which is the leaping hypothesis 
in that we were all up in the trees, well, our ancestors, and those ancestors needed to better be able to leap from branch to branch and be able to focus on branches. So the eyes moved forward facing so you could have three dimensionals and you needed to have color vision so you could see the camouflage of branches versus trees. So there's that, which is just the jumping from tree to tree. You need to be able to see better. And But Isabel's hypothesis was that we evolved better sight because of people predating on us, most specifically snakes. Wait, pe- people? Sorry. Other creatures. Okay. That's okay. I, I misspoke and Taking these personhood me. laws a little bit far. <laughs> and this is early primate evolution where you got tiny little primates who are not the full-sized kind of gorillas and chimpanzees and all and humans right. and all that. The, so the idea of the snake detection theory comes from the idea that after the dinosaurs died out, you had the, the rise of the mammals especially, and eventually the small primates. And at that time, the major predators of small mammals and primates were snakes because predatory birds were going to arrive maybe 10 or 20 million years later. And big predators like bears and wolves and stuff were even further away. So hmm. in early primate evolution, the big the big bad was the snake. Theoretically. Yes. But, Theoretically. But probably borne out by the fossil record. Yes. So the idea is that these early mammals and primates needed to figure out ways to evade or Protect deal themselves. with snakes. Yeah. So some of them just got really fast or really agile to run away. Some of them figured out better ways to smell so they could smell the snakes and detect them further away. And I assume Dr. Isbell, but it's never mentioned in any of the articles. Uh, UC Davis professor of anthropology. Good, safe assumption is doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The snark! The snark! No, I, I, it, it's just weird that none of the articles they, they yeah, say. Yeah, they, they actually, you're, you're absolutely right. They just call, they call her Isbell. Yeah, or Not Lynn doctor. Isbell. Yeah. yeah. Not Dr. Isbell, just, just Isbell. So Professor Isbell, her hypothesis comes from the idea that in order to better deal with snakes, early mammals, especially primates, developed better vision as a strategy. So the idea is that early primates were eating a lot of fruit in addition to insects and nuts and stuff like that. And the additional sugar of the fruit allowed a lot of brain development because you have more energy for the brain. So that's how early primates had the resources to evolve better vision and better brains to handle that vision so that we developed, like I said, 3D vision of the eyes in front, better close vision because snakes, you can only really see them when they're up close. Other things like bears and eagles or whatever, they're further away. It's easier to deal with that. So the better, the close range vision and color vision, be able to see the camouflage of the snake. But you wouldn't be seeing the the bears because they weren't around then. Well, yes. (laughs) So the idea is because snakes were the main predator early on, we're really hardwired to be able to te- detect snakes okay. as predators. Now, is there any proof of this other than this hypothesis? Well, finally, we have some proof in the form of neuroscience. We have some researchers in Japan uh, led by Hayaso Nashijo and a couple of researchers in Brazil who essentially worked with macaque monkeys, I think it was, and are publishing in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. They essentially put electrodes into specific areas of the brain called the pulvinar, which is a group of neurons near the thalamus, which basically are dealing with 
visual information and eye movements and orienting, all that kind of stuff, processing information quickly. And they showed them pictures of macaque faces, of snakes, of general shapes, and of macaque hands. And what they found is that 40% or so of the neurons that were tested reacted very heavily to snake images and about 30% reacted to face images, about 20% for hands and about 12% for just general shapes. Hmm. So it seemed like the neurons were hardwired to say, that's a snake, react to that and deal with that. Even more so than faces, which was what we humans and primates, because we're social creatures, are evolved to kind of recognize and deal with. That's why we have things like pareidolia and all that stuff. And the kicker of this whole study is these were a couple of macaques who were raised ent entirely in the lab. Right. Okay. So they had never seen a snake. Interesting. And yet there was this big reaction to either the image of like just an, a snake in maybe a general S form and also snake in a coiled up form. They used both kinds of images. That's weird. My question then is, did they use other predators though the the only thing they tested were those Snakes. those images because you're testing for that predator prey response yeah they, they they do need to test other types of shapes stuff an, you know. an eagle's shape or a lion shape yeah but what i find interesting is if these monkeys have never seen a snake exactly and they're reacting to a snake shape that the implication is it's a biological reflex and not a But the problem reflex. is, is that that's the only, okay, that's they're the only, showing macaque faces, yeah, macaque hands, and geometric shapes. Right. It's the only other type of face or animal or something that they're seeing. Now, what if they put up, you know, Bob Barker's face, would they get the same reaction? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob Barker, the known macaque killer. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm giving an example here. No, though, no, I, I, of, that's, uh, a, that's a very good that question. If you've only got one other animal that you're showing it, other than yeah. its own species, yeah. What if you, sh what if you show it, say, a tamarind monkey or something, you know, another sure. type of of I of would old assume world that other types of monkeys would still get the about 30% neuron rate because they're recognizing a face shape, well, which is eyes, nose, and mouth. Okay. Whereas uh, okay. the mm. idea of a snake of that S form or the coiled up is very iconic. Right. There have been other studies that have compared snakes to spiders, where spiders are equally kind of creepy to humans, but even then, snakes had a little bit more of a reaction, even though they both had reactions. Well, there's than the there's, there's also a little bit of they're, they're detecting mechanisms in the neurons themselves. So the neurons are responding to something. Exactly. I can see one explanation is for a snake-like thing. It would be a smaller kind of object, smaller, thinner object. So you may need to use more of your visual acuity to actually see it. So it's not necessarily a fear response, although they're saying they use snakes to provoke fear in monkeys. Um, that has been known as something they can do to test monkeys to basically yeah, I, try to scare them and see what well, scaring yeah. looks yeah. like. And yeah. another question is, is the, the pictures of the, the snakes... Were they, you know, the ones of them striking? Or was it, you know, 
a snake just sitting there coiled up. Well, Not the don't tread on me snake, you know, all feared out and everything. There's going to probably be a different response, I would assume, that if it's just a snake that's coiled up hmm. and it's completely, that is a completely different look from the hands or the, the macaque or the geometric shape, the monkey's going to be like, well, that's kind of interesting. Not, oh my God, fear! You know? <laughs> so you think it was more like how we test babies to figure out if their attention is grabbed by something, by how long they look at something? Yeah, there's... This was just a, a, a unique phenomenon reaction? Right, it, that's a possibility because they they're, we don't have the numbers. Yeah. You know, we don't know what exactly is happening. We don't have the video of them showing the picture of the monkey. And the monkey going, "Holy fuck! I'm getting away from this shit." All the all they <laughs> all they tested in this situation was were neurons activated by the sight of the shape of the coiled or the uncoiled snake. Right. Period. It is a test of just neuronal activity. Right. What is going on? They also found that the neuronal activity for snakes was faster. Right. So that is why they feel that this supports the snake detection theory, in that. The brain is hardwired to say, that's a snake, deal with it right now, and have that fast reaction right. to it. And, and Which is which could apply to something that's just novel that you need to say, I need oh, to make look, this. Oh, look, I want to go touch that. The, the, <laughs> the lion in the bush idea of yeah, evolutionary psychology of, that is something novel, I need to react to that as fast as possible, right. with as much brain power as possible. Right, and what I'm saying, though, is, is that once again, and we've, we've discussed this on the show about science reporting. Some there's to me, there is not enough information in this article to substantiate the claims. Now the paper could be completely different, mm -hmm. but the article has not made a good argument for the paper. I think it presents the basic ideas of what's going right. on. I don't think it got anything incorrect. And I think it shows that this is one piece of the puzzle to say there's a good idea to say snake detection theory may be part of the vast interconnected web of human evolution to say all this stuff, including snake predation, may be seriously involved in how we evolved our sense of sight. Right. The idea of the visual predation th hypothesis that I mentioned early, where they were saying, well, we need to be able to see bugs really easily to predate on them is assuming that early mammals and, and primates especially were primarily bug predators mm -hmm. and from what I understand of what they've said of the fossil record that's not quite as strong right. so that means with visual predation kind of weakening and this is one step in saying well there's something to be said for this hypothesis it's not cut and dried like some stupid articles might sometimes write about right, but it is a, a good arrow pointing in that right direction as a primary study to say there should be more study right because i know that in human evolution we've seen it where humans have been scavengers not predators hmm. the evolution of human from scavenger to predator is a, actually a fairly recent idea because they found pits where they found bones and everything else and there were basically teeth marks very obviously cat teeth marks large cat teeth marks on bones and then human bone chewing on yeah, it yeah, that, so right. on top of it so it's kind of like oh look Morris the leopard tossed out <laughs> you know tossed out the bone and some human walk along there. 
Ooh, free eats. Yeah, we can, <laughs> and that's just the progress of human evolution taking the scraps from bigger predators. Yeah. This is early primate evolution, where the focus of a lot of these articles were that these early primates ate bugs and fruit and whatever yeah. they could find, leaves or whatever. So they were all generalist back then. They kind of had to be. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was trying to fit the T Rex into this because the T Rex they're saying was a scavenger as well. Yeah. Which is probably why we like the T-Rex so much. Uh, because unconsciously, <laughs> we were scavengers as well. But mostly yeah, a meat scavenger. Yeah, but our arms are really long. <laughs> and we have opposable... Yes, true. Yeah, we can make the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, snakes are have seem to be... There's some good evidence to say that snakes and their predation of early primates maybe one factor in why humans and primates in general developed really good visual acuity. And How are those bifocals there, Donna? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fuck you. And I also you. because the brain had to be more heavily involved in visual processing, that other areas of the brain that are involved in things like socialization and reaching and grasping for things and manipulating things got more brain power, got more powerful, which led to smarter humans and eventually, well, smarter primates and Machiavelli. Manipulation. Okay, I see. <laughs> yes. And speaking of manipulation, one quick story on snakes. Apparently, there is a spa in Bali, Indonesia, the Bali Heritage Reflexology and Spa, which one of the services that they offer is you can get a massage where two people will work on you, one will do the massaging, the other will basically put boa constrictors on you. Pythons. Pythons, yes. They will put snakes on you to writhe over you and give you massaging that way. Hmm. And their idea is because it induces a fear response because of the snakes, the but adrenaline not to is good for your body, that it works on your metabolism or something like that. I don't know and, that that would be all that freaked out, having a, a python. Yeah. Give, I mean, because you know that someone's there and not going to hopefully let yeah. kill you. Oh, maybe maybe they just leave the room. That would probably make me a little <laughs> bit nervous. <laughs> if it was Britney Spears in a python, it might be even scarier. But this is just a python, which Named they Monty. do tape the mouth shut. Oh, and, well, that's not scary. Oh, wait. And they also feed the snake... 30 minutes before they put it on you. So it's not like it's going to like, okay, new meal, I'm going to constrict you. <laughs> so really not all that scary. So I think I think their fear response hypothesis yeah. is incorrect. But yeah, it's, it's very wooey kind of, oh, it's natural, very. the snake massage, and it can massage you in ways that human hands can't. Okay, whatever. But this is the kind of place that also offers therapies like tickling massage, which, okay, not so bad. Heated golf ball massage. Masala. That's sort of like, is that like like the hot stone thing, I guess? I, uh, yeah. Um, I haven't read into like this fully, gods. but apparently there's another massage involving strawberry ice cream, which I think is more of a happy ending kind of thing. And last but not least, massage involving a therapist in a gorilla suit. Uh, is this is this one where you have to count how many times the people pass the ball? And then they walk, <laughs> it's more counting therapy than the gorilla. Exactly. So <laughs> fun little woo-woo snake story there to finish us up on. Yay! 
But speaking about snakes... Snakes? Yeah, they're, uh, culturally, India enjoys the whole cobra in a box with oh, a... Oh, the, the snake charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah snake charming. Uh, <laughs> Another thing they do in India is the Indian rope trick. Yeah. Where they put a rope in the sky and they climb up at it and they're... They're reaching gone. nirvana or something. Or at least reaching up into the sky. And speaking of reaching up in the sky... And India. And India... <laughs> There is an Indian Space Research Organization. I and swear, that was the longest segue <laughs> ever. And that was a pre-planned segue. For- <laughs> I was just like... What's the frickin' point? <laughs> I read this last week. I think it's pretty cool. The uh, ISRO, the Indian Space Research Organization, is going to send an orbiter to Mars on the... Well, curses luck. Fifth... <laughs> 5th of November. <laughs> I just start that over so I can edit the, the damn thing. But remember, I, remember the 5th of November. Yeah. <laughs> the gunpowder, treason, and plot. Uh, damn. <laughs> um, Shaza. That Hold has on. a cap on it. Oh, future program. Oh, oh, future program. Here we go. Sorry. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Right. Mars Orbiter. Okay. Um, almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Oh. <laughs> uh... Yeah, the 5th of November. Wait, what was what was this? <laughs> That's not helping. Speaking of reaching for the sky. <laughs> Reach for the sky. The partner. Indian Space Research Organization. That would be uh, Indians. Not that. ISRO. Right. ISRO. Uh, they are going to send an orbiter to Mars. Cool. Uh, uh, next week, the 5th, I believe, of November. I was kind of caught unawares of any kind of space program that India might have. But apparently, they've been they sending satellites. nifty space program, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they've I, actually been... Their first satellite was launched in 1975. Oh, cool. It was a, and I do seem to remember something fairly recently about some Mars orbiter. Uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, you mean just now. <laughs> just talking about that. And I seem to remember something fairly recently about a moon orbiter. Yeah, that I don't know was, what it did, but it, it went around the moon. And, and it, no, okay, <laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> it was a, it was a the moon or- Sputnik. <laughs> yeah, it was an orbiter and an impactor, and they discovered water on the moon, and that was August two thousand nine. That that actually so it was a couple of years ago, but that was the last, as far as I know, the big thing that they did. But I, I thought it was very interesting that there's. They've, they've had this going on, and they're not talking like China's been talking about putting a space station and, and putting people up. But India is talking about that, but they aren't there yet, and they're taking a very slow path to do it. But, yeah, they have communication satellites and oh, the whole yeah. thing. So the purpose of the Mars orbiter, and it's it's got a very highly elliptical orbit. It's going down to 375 kilometers above Mars up to 80,000 kilometers. That's a, a big swing. It's a big swing. And they're hoping to, first thing, the main thing is to actually test the technical capabilities because it, it's a big problem for communications. So that's one of the things. Uh, they're going to look for signs of life for methane. There's, there's going to be a methane thing on there. They're going to study, study the atmosphere and basically just other technical capabilities for the It's It's really kind of a, a first run to kind of just 
see if they can generally match what other countries have done already. Yeah. And not what do what some other countries have done already, which is smash something into Mars unexpectedly by <laughs> not... Multiple times. Yeah, not or calculating not versus metric versus imperial yeah. correctly or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, just in the time that we've been talking about this, I actually Googled India moon missions. Yeah. And apparently, they're planning some serious exploration of the moon in the next yeah. couple of years. Yeah. Testing for helium on it, some other things. But, I mean, they're they're back to putting men on the moon. And hopefully yeah. women. Yeah. Just had to throw that in there. <laughs> I, I, I think there have been some members of either shuttle programs or the International Space Station who might have been from India. Mm. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just remembering science fiction movies. Where someone had an Indian flag on their patch or something like that, but I, well, I know, I know they, they have piggybacked onto other countries' programs, right. right? Yes, they have, and it does help that today in 2013 that a lot of this technology for launching into space, launching to the moon, and even launching to Mars has become—I'll use this word—fairly routine. Mm -hmm. In that, a lot of the technology has been proven. Sure. So they're really just saying. Hey, have we got it? Have we matched everything else? And then maybe they can build on that to build even more. A lot of the groundbreaking stuff happened 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, but the, the, the real, yeah, I'll use this in, in air quotes. The really hard part yeah. ha has been done. Not that going to Mars is not hard. No, 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 no. Not, not all, no nor is creating uh, equipment to do that or even, even run it. But the design. And figuring out whether people are going to die through the radiation belts or hardening stuff to the radiation has been done by United States and Russia primarily, obviously, China and Japan and a whole bunch of European and, space agencies. Yeah, and in fact, I mean, India's, like I said, the first satellite launch was in 1975, so they have 40 years of... Of, of good, experience. Of, yeah. of experience. So they're, they're no slacks. <laughs> but I, I'm, I was just pretty excited to, to see that someone's sending a, a Mars orbiter and, and contributing to the uh, knowledge. And the more countries, the more agencies that get involved in this, the more really routine space travel we come. Because yeah. we got that, there was a test of a, not a glider, but kind of a space plane-y type thing that happened this week. Just recently. I think it had a problem, didn't it? It had a problem on landing, <laughs> like one of the wheels didn't go down yeah. or something like that. But it didn't blow up in the sky and it didn't crash into the earth. Right. It just, so it was like 90% there. <laughs> right. But that's st still really good progress. Yeah. So we get things like, apparently there's also something else where some private company wants to do essentially balloon rides into space mm -hmm. and that technology is proven well enough that nasa has said yeah sure go ahead looks fine to me yeah they have to ask the faa yeah because <laughs> <laughs> balloons are not the most controllable of delivery vehicles <laughs> but congratulations india you have graduated to the next level of a space program and that's awesome that is cool. Yep. And, of course, speaking of graduates, another sort of meme that's been hitting the Facebooks is graduate school Barbie, which is hilarious, <laughs> I think. I laughed my ass off because I've lived it. Yes, I'm, I'm right in the middle of it. <laughs> I think that's why I said it to you. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> and we're not going to go too far into depth about it because it's better if you read the, the whole thing. But... Basically, someone posted 
that graduate school Barbie comes in two forms, delusional master's Barbie and PhD masochist Barbie, and then gives a description of how Barbie is getting through and the people associated with yeah. it. The accessories, the, the voice the gra- command things right. that happened, yeah. what Ken, how Ken is involved, the other friends, like, I have a real job. Jenny or whatever the heck it's or something. Exactly. Yeah, a real so, job skipper. A satire of <laughs> a press release of a new Barbie, but right. really poking fun more at graduate school life. Yeah. So that's my basic understanding of it, and not having been through that, I apparently will be quiet for the rest of this discussion. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's also, it, you could also do it for undergrad. Right. For, it easily ties into undergrad. Yeah, it, any course where you're spending more time doing the work and trying to get through rather than enjoy life. It's <laughs> yeah. basically who this is pointed at. And it just happens that because with an undergraduate degree, it's possible to go out and get a decent paying job and just start enjoying life more than going on and staying in school and avoiding, you know, real the life. The real world. Yeah, exactly. Because pretty much graduate school is... Avoidance of the real world at all costs. Which is true when you go from undergraduate directly into graduate school. It's a little bit different when you go from the real world back to school. When you realize, oh, I have a mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, it's unattributed. The one that you posted, Donna, was uh, author unknown. And then I found another place that was in 2011... That also said author unknown. And then I found one that was in 2009 that was author unknown. And they said that they got it from a bulletin board system that is now <laughs> offline. So this has been going around for uh, a while. Mid, yeah, probably mid 90s or so. So no one really knows who wrote this, but it's it's funny. But apparently However, it has stuck up its head again recently and it's got a lot of attention. Yeah, someone posted it in 2012 on their blog and she got something like 300,000 hits in the next couple of months after she posted it. And so it it, it just kind of like good jokes, you know, it resurfaces yeah, every once right. in a while. And there is truth yes. to this. Truth of the graduate experience in this. The talking about wearing the blue jeans and the five-year-old Gap t-shirt, you know. <laughs> so the, no, sir, I'd love to rewrite that. Or, I'll have it for you tomorrow. <laughs> These lies that you make up at graduate school that you go, yes, with a smile on your face and your thumbs up. And then they turn around and you're all like, fuck me, what am I going to do now? <laughs> exactly. And so, it, obviously. So the lesson is, kids, don't go to graduate school. Well, it, it it is it is a warning. Graduate school, in many cases, is not the easiest thing to do. I mean, because again, a lot of your friends are going to graduate, and they go out and they they start. They having get real jobs and have real money, and exactly. all of a sudden, you're not making soup out of ketchup packets and some hot water. Right. They're actually able to buy the can of tomato soup. Not even able to buy ramen. Exactly. exactly. So, so you look at so there's some some jealousy a little bit in there. What I found interesting was on the one that you posted, JoannaRentiria.com, was the comments. And of course, you're not supposed to read the comments, but I inevitably do just to scan to see what people because you know I thought it was hilarious that day you well, decided you didn't want to have any faith in humanity. <laughs> right. right. Well. There are some comments in there. There's a lot of, I really enjoyed it. I'm in graduate school. I just got out of it. Blah, 
Yeah, this, this has you know, truth. This is so true. My One of my favorites, which is... It's so such a sexist comment but i love it of the is there a postdoc version or is that too gruesome for the market right <laughs> why does the spousal hire faculty barbie look much younger <laughs> <That's right>. okay because <laughs> i i know those too so the first really negative comment i saw is by someone who's calling themselves elise so i'm going to assume because it's a female name that it's a female posting and it's sort of a feminist rant. I, I should say, I hate using the term feminist rant because it's basically someone without a, a sense of humor who's being overly sensitive towards the fact that it's the Barbie. Kind of a PC thug kind yeah. of overreacting. Yeah, let's, to- let's say that. Yeah, I don't want to d- diminish the feminist because feminists, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is starting to take on because because of the Rush Limbaughs of the world is are using it as a weapon. Or uh, shit, the, the Thunderfoots of the world too, with all due respect to Thunderfoot. No, uh, no, it, it just not in if, that case. If the shoe the fits, throw it at him. Exactly. <laughs> That's an insult. And okay, exactly. Um, but this person, Elise, wrote: How come Barbie can't hack it, but Ken is a grad school advisor? Unfortunately, this article seems to discourage women from pursuing higher education by suggesting it will make them old, tired, cranky, and unattractive. My husband is currently pursuing graduate education in business. <laughs> and it irks me to hear his female colleagues complain about the hours and workload, but I honestly never hear complaints from his male school peers. I wish the amazingly strong and smart women who pursue graduate degrees would set a better example to encourage and pave the way for more highly educated women in the workforce. Well, I have several <laughs> issues with this. Uh, Donna, would you like to respond to this being a highly educated woman in the workforce? First off, women are going to school, going to college and grad school, and graduating at higher rates than their male counterparts. Yeah. So using Barbie is statistically correct in that it's more likely that a grad student would be female. Also statistically correct in that Barbie is just a very popular doll to be satirized. Also statistically correct that it's going to be a male professorial advisor. Which yes. sucks, but there you go. Exactly, because as women do get through it and everything else, a lot of women actually will leave the academic world either for the real world job or they've gotten married, they're in a comfortable point in their life that they don't necessarily have to work. Hmm. They've managed to get it all, which is something they keep telling us we can't have. (laughs) (laughs) To me, this is uh, almost a sound thing. At the end of the graduate school, you are bitter and cranky and tired. (laughs) Yeah, the commenter, Elise, seems to think that because Barbie is a female, that's why she's got bags under her eyes and she's tired and cranky and unattractive. Where the point is that it's grad school that would make anyone tired, cranky, and unattractive and wear Gap t-shirts. Right. Yeah, it it would not be funny if he used... A gender neutral. It has to be a gender because it's it's a person. So regardless of whether you could have easily have made it Ken, right? Easily, but Instead Ken of, is not the the point, right? Right. And like one of the things that they make fun of is grad school Barbie's medicine cabinet, which I had a little bit of an issue with because they threw in St. John's wort, but uh, uh, no, I'm no. I'm willing to go. Uh, okay, fine. Maybe that shows the desperation of some people in grad <laughs> yes, school that they're willing to go for. They woo. could have. They could have said grad school Ken's medicine cabinet comes with 
Advil Viagra because he's spending so many hours in the fucking lab. <laughs> he just, he's too tired to get it up for Barbie. Okay. If he even has a girlfriend. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sorry, the face that I'm getting from Corex is like, oh, oh, no, you didn't go there. That just came from like a real deep, bitter place. <laughs> it wow. really was it. There is truth in this article. And like I said, she just. Oh. She's really picking nits. Although she and does, she does the point. She does say that the obsolete PC personal computer does come in pink. <laughs> right. But she goes down further and she's all like, well, I'm not a grad student. I'm a young professional female who's tired of seeing other smart women get passed over in every industry for opportunities because they doubt their capabilities. This is a point that I agree with. Women doubt themselves in a lot of situations. Which isn't helped by real products like math is hard, Burby. <laughs> right. Exactly. Elise has these little tiny nuggets of truth. Yeah. But there's a lot of the what we could consider the Rush Limbaugh feminazi. You other women are harming feminism. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're demonizing Barbie for not being good or smarter or better than the 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 Ken. And Barbie is, in this case, actually smart, which is why she's in grad school. Sure. And, and, and cares about how she's doing. And, but that's the thing is, like, when I read it, I laughed because I recognized myself and the whole thing. And the first thing I thought is it comes with a 9-volt lithium battery. I'm thinking, you know what? I'd probably take out the lithium from the battery. <laughs> take it. I know it's a different chemical composition, but... <laughs> It works as a sort of pun. Actually, it doesn't work at all. Never mind. <laughs> now that I said it out loud, it sounds really stupid. <laughs> but it's Again, just, we've been saying that for 133 episodes, Jerry. Right. right. I, like I said, there are just there are small little nuggets in this about grad school. Like the buy three or more dollars and you can have Barbie's thesis committee. Palm pilot and tenure sold separately. Okay. I, there is that truth in it because your thesis committee is the people that you end up hating the most. <laughs> and that's why the the original Barbie article is just a fun little piece of satire poking fun mainly at grad school mm -hmm. where it's just one of those situations where the commenter either didn't read it fully or didn't get the point or just has no sense of humor or is just a PC thug where nothing can be joked about. Well, again, you said she raises the, the points that this could be taken wrong. But in fact, it's not. It's <sighs> it was the point of the article was to make fun of grad school and right. to make fun of everybody who's going through it. Because when you start grad school, you're big, you're doe wide, you're so excited. <laughs> you're like, I'm going to be learning and I'm going to be one of the best in, in my degree field and all of this jazz. And that lasts about a week. Right. It really does. Because grad school, the first year is all about just tearing you down. Tear you down, yeah. tear you down, tear you down. The next year is we build you up, we build you up, we build you up. And by the time you get through PhD, they're all like, well, you really can think. You're not <laughs> that stupid that we thought you were, you know, seven years ago. <laughs> Most of that Barbie blurb is making fun of all that. But it's also making fun of Barbie itself. Right. Saying that, yes, of course, the laptop comes in pink. 
and making fun of that Barbie is always this perfect model of attractiveness. Right. Never has circles under the eyes. Always mm-hmm. comes with mini skirts and sparkly outfits. Never just sweatpants and a t-shirt. Yeah. Is making and fun of that product, which is also a positive feminist message to say, hey, let's take Barbie down a notch as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know what? I've still got my bags under my eyes from grad school. <laughs> Thank you very much. These are war wounds. I thought you were going to say you still have your Barbies from grad school, but I guess. No. <laughs> yes. Mine yes, would have been cut up. Voodoo, voodoo Barbie. <laughs> sticking with the hair of your advisor. <laughs> I've had that idea. But anyway, uh, we'll post a, a link to, to this and you guys can You guys can read, can read it. Comment. We'd love to hear what you guys think about grad school yeah. Barbie. I think it's hilarious. So what did we learn this week? We learned that sugar-tongued word processors are more quotable than babbling idiots. About the article thing that he was quoted for but then oh. dropped from. Yeah. Some of these may need explanation. <laughs> Like every Christmas letter I get from my stepfather. We learn that Tori Buffuckchitnip Tourette's were born today. <laughs> we learn that giraffes can't open doors, but they can't open their eyes. Oh, you <laughs> <bastard>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> what was the next one? <laughs> the next one is the EO number, because this is a hostile workplace. And then we have... Oh, that's right. We learned that we have motherfucking snakes on the motherfucking podcast. I see. Yeah. <laughs> we learned that India is going to try and test the 50-50 odds of going to Mars. Uh, because about half of all Mars ex- ex- uh, expeditions have failed. Uh, not expedition. You know what I mean. Missions. Missions. Thank you. Because you see, 50 50- about 50% of Mars missions have failed for one reason or another. Got it. But, but hey, we still have uh, two and a half rovers on Mars, so we're, we're doing good. And, what, uh, three orbiters, so. Yeah, and I think we've got another Mars mission coming relatively soon. Very soon, yeah. yeah. And we learned that graduate school Barbie really needs to replace her pink 67 VW, but unfortunately won't be able to for a year or so. Until becomes <laughs> got a real job after graduate school. <laughs> until she yep. graduates, until her graduate committee allows her to graduate. So, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, thank you, Greg and Donna, for joining me this week. Thank you, Derry, Derry, Derry. Can't open the door either. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Donna and Gary. No opposable thumbs. Thank you, Gary and Greg. Excellent. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us this time. Dear Again, listeners. Uh, dear listeners. They can't open doors. <laughs> they can't even open doors. I know. Yeah, what's, 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 what's with your uh, uh, ungulate uh, theory of, of uh, parents coming to what visit? What does this have to do with the little thing that hangs, that hangs down That's in the back uvula. of that, Isn't that what you said? I said no. ungulate. That's not. that no, part I'm of the body you, you're not supposed to talk about on play podcasts. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, so thanks for joining us, dear listener, and we will talk at you next week. Bye-bye. 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 B
Skepticwire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. not the full-sized kind of gorillas and chimpanzees and all and humans and all that yeah this is way yeah. back in uh, yeah. evolutionary is, eon time stuff yeah. the idea of this being around the time after the dinosaurs so after 65 million years ago that or so right so after the half an eye formed into a full eye uh, uh this it's just is a bad joke Never mind. <clears throat> you know, what good is half an eye? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm cutting that out. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea... So, so right after the slime uh, broke up into snakes and all, all the different kinds, right? <laughs> yes. So the dinosaurs got all too big and fat and they died, like we've learned from the airplane movie. Oh, was that from? Air- oh, I, I thought it was cigarettes. Farsight. Was it the Johnny? What have we learned to us? Well, first of all, the Earth cooled, and then the dinosaurs oh, right. got too big and fat, but they died. And anyway, that was bad, and I'm going to cut that out too. <laughs> so the idea of the snake detection theory. So the idea of the snake detection theory comes from the idea that after the dinosaurs died out, you had the, the rise of the mammals, especially.